Okay, we shall continue our sermon sessions in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 18. Where are you? There, somewhere's in here. As you can see, my Bible has uh, gotten leafy. All right, chapter 18, verses 28 through 40 will be the portion of Scripture that we will be looking at for this session. And uh, we remain within the context. We remain within the theme of things taking place. It is the final hour of our Lord and Master and the things that are taking place and hostility towards Him, to which He, of course, is permitting. He is always in control. And that is quite fascinating, very interesting to see how deity, God, on earth, in flesh, within these vessels, is in control, with authority, allowing himself to be murdered. And that is indeed part of the depth of his love towards mankind. And so this here portion of the inspired history records his interaction, if you will, before Pilate. And in prior verses, we saw his apprehension and his betrayal by a close friend. And of course, the turmoil and anxiety and uh, uh, division, if you will, of the moment in which he was apprehended, and it certainly must have been a time of doubt and uncertainty uh, to see Jesus uh, in this situation. And so moving forward, we begin verse 28 of chapter 18. It says, I quote, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And you may have a footnote saying the governor's official residence. So here is the praetorium. And it was early, obviously, because they apprehended him at night, right? It was dark out there at the garden, the location where he would bring his disciples quite often. A location of tranquility. There was running water. The, 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 the landscape and the visual must have been quite comforting, welcoming, and beautiful. Yet, at that very same location is where betrayal and apprehension from foreign threat and powers to murder him had been taking place. And so he is now in this location, which is the Praetorium, so that they would not be defiled. Oh, well, let's move back here. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the Praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. And of course, this has to do with the law and the ordinances and the things taking place between the Jewish mind and their culture and traditions and, of course, the Roman power and uh, their uh, uh, operations, if you will. Therefore, verse 29, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? He should have said, what evidence do you bring along with your accusations to this man? But the question, of course, is pretty much, what's the problem here? Why are you pestering me? They, I mean, the Romans did not have much of a respect or honor for the Jewish people. It was kind of 
understood that in Rome you find peace. There is peace in Rome. Why? Because if you don't, we'll execute you. <laughs> so that's the oppression, that's the tyranny, and it worked for their time in having the Jewish individuals uh, quarantined in their domain, doing what they do, leave us alone, you stay quiet, and all these things. Now, we have to understand that the Jews needed the Romans for capital punishment, correct? Of course. They needed to go to the Roman power and governing official. So what you had, of course, is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests and all of that. They were socio-political powers and influences with their policies of the day. And you had the Roman power, which was, of course, of a greater, greater measurement. So the Jews, if they wanted to have someone executed, they no longer, of course, had or practiced it through God's law. They had to go through the Roman law to have a practice of the Jewish law. And in that, of course, we have an illustration for ourselves. We obey God in all of his law. And so they found uh, this moment, of course, in their ploy to remove Jesus, having the need to cooperate with the Romans, in which they would not have cooperated before. It was always in opposition. They thought Christ was going to come in their image, which was a man uh, wielding a sword and, and, and of course, uh, 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 chopping down the Romans and building a physical, literal kingdom. And uh, therefore, the Jewish people would no longer be oppressed by the Romans. And, and that was the idea. So they had created a Jesus in their own image. And, of course, sadly, a great many Christians today do the same thing. Well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, your Jesus is not the same one that we read in the Bible. That's why. So, in verse 29, Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? The Jewish socio-political policies, their apprehension of the man, and their reasoning, like, what's taking place here? Why are you bringing this to me? <laughs> I don't really want to be bothered by this. They answered, of course, and said to him in verse 30, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you now, would we? Like, come on, we would not have brought him here for nothing. So, you know, that's kind of the argument there being utilized by them. And there is various angles and perspectives, of course, respecting the interpretation of the context. It's all the same. They are indeed deceitful. They are manipulative. They are high-handedly evil in their hypocrisy. And they want to find this man uh, guilty and have him executed and removed. Again, Jesus came in the image of the Scriptures. In the image of the Scriptures. And they had created in their minds a Jesus according to their fleshly desires. And so this Jesus was not the Jesus they wanted. He was not raised in prestige socio-status. He was not educated by Gamaliel and the, and, and the status of education through our preaching schools. And all these things, of course, in their hearts remain corrupt. So if, 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 if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you now, would we? So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves. What are you bothering me for then? What do I got to do with this? Judge him according to your law. You have laws, you have policies, and it's interesting again how evil devours itself and is always in opposition to itself. Like if you would have gone to the Sanhedrin within those socio-political conversations, you would have had the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees just going at it all day. Oh, we can kind of understand that to a certain degree if we look over there in Ottawa in Parliament and you have, you know, 
the orange color and the green color and the, the blue color and the red color, and they're always at it towards each other, unless it's a mutual thing they want to get rid of or something along those lines. Well, all of a sudden here, guess what? Everybody's best friends. Why? Well, we got to get rid of Jesus. Even to the point that they're now cooperating with the, the heathen, the pagans, the Greeks, the Gentiles. It's a testament to the depravity of man's heart in hatred and jealousy and bitterness to this end. We wouldn't have brought him here if he wasn't an evildoer. What do I got, what do I got to do with that? Why is that my problem now? That's a YP, your problem. Not an MP, my problem. No, that's not my problem. Well, Pilate says to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, the Jews said to him, and this is what's fascinating to me, with a great many erroneous teachings out there claiming that somehow the Jews thwarted God's plan here. And they weren't supposed to be against him. They were supposed to be for him. And one day he's going to make it right. No, not at all. The people should have loved him, certainly, and should have followed him. They were the Jews, man. They were born and raised in the covenant. They were born and raised to recite the scriptures which prophesied of the coming Messiah. They should have been ready for that, right? They should have known that. But yet here he is. He's not in the image they perceived or anticipated him to be. And so now they neglect and reject. And he had the power of speak. He had the word of authority. And he could perform miraculous activity. They couldn't, but they claimed they could. All of these things, of course, to this moment now, finally, the devil's victorious. We're going to conquer this man and get rid of him, right? So they think, of course, but he's always in control. So Pilate says to them, take him, to your, uh, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, well, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. You're the one who has that power, so we're bringing him to you, because you're the one who has to get rid of him. Really. And of course, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he had spoke, signifying by what, by what kind of death he was about to die. Everything is in fulfillment here. The devil's too blind to recognize that he is actually fulfilling the very thing he's trying to destroy. The devil tried to destroy us. Look at how we're growing. The devil failed. To fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke. And that is important language for us to respect and honor. Words. Spoke. This is how he was uh, going to allow himself to be murdered. A sacrifice of sorts. A pure sacrifice. Therefore, Pilate, in verse 33, entered again into the praetorium. And summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Like, to him, this is just, you know, whatever. Who cares about the Jews and their God or whatever they do? I got bigger problems on my plate. Are you, are you what they say? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers him in verse 34, quote, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Now, Jesus is not asking you a question because he does not know the answer. And we've recognized that. It's always for the benefit of the individual he's interacting with, and of course, to the greater scope of redemption for us today reading these words. Are you saying this on your own initiative, 
Are you an independent, accountable soul with the intellectual capability of understanding what you are saying? Do you know who I am? Or are you a product of gossip and slander and the deceitful manipulation of the Jewish people? My people, my people! Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Interesting questions from our Lord and Master going back into the Gospel of Matthew, of course, where he asked his disciples, what does the community out there say about me? Who do they say that I am? Well, they say you're a prophet or they say this, that, and the other. Oh, the grapevine is going. Well, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter had it right. You're the Son of God. Well, here now he speaks to Pilate. Are you saying this on your own initiative? Because Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And of course, the Romans did not appreciate or permit any threat to their rule. That's why they tried to murder Jesus when he was yet still in his mother's womb. There's only one king. There's only one God. That's the Roman power. The Jews are starting to speak of a Messiah or some kind of a prophecy fulfilled that there will be a king. There is no other king but the Roman power. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? And that's quite interesting because Pilate should have had independent thought. He's a leader. He's not supposed to be swayed or deceived by what the ocean of gossip out there is taking place, he's supposed to be a leader. And for that very questioning, Jesus himself could have sought execution, speaking in that fashion. And of course, Christ would not have been belligerent or rude or heavy-handed with this. But courageous, he is in control. He knows he is about his hour of fulfillment. So Pilate answers him, of course, in verse 35, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? What's your guilt? Why are you here? The Jews claim you are an evildoer. I'm not a Jew. I don't know your laws. That's why I asked you if you're the king of the Jews, as they say. And how sad. How sad. Pay attention. The Jews wanted to overthrow the Romans. Okay? They wanted to overthrow the Romans. They were tired of the oppression of Rome. They were blinded, of course, to the fact that the reason they had now found themselves in a location in time in which they were oppressed by the Romans was because of their lack of faith. It wasn't happenstance. And don't let anyone fool you with that. Ah, oh, you know, it's just, it's a coincidence that we're under tyrannical, corrupt leaders now. I don't know what happened. God's in control! No, no, of course God's in control, but there is responsibility of faith. There's a reason the Jews were now under the oppression of the Roman power. They lost faith. When we lose faith, guess what happens to us? We vote in corrupt leaders who oppress us. Somehow some Christians think that it is virtuous to invoke another Rome. No, we don't need to. See, we've already gone through that. We don't need to do that again. The Jews wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman power. 
If they would have only known, it could have been done by following Jesus. Here is Pilate saying, your own people are bringing you here as an evildoer to be executed. The Jews were acting in hostility to the plan. Look at it through the other angle and perspective. What if the Jews would have backed Jesus spiritually and followed him? What a voice that would have been against the Roman power. But now the heathens, they're like, these people are a joke. You know what the heathens are saying today too with a great many Christians? The same thing. These people are a joke. They're cowards. They're cowards. They don't even get along. They're always divided. Among themselves, they can't get along. They're not united. They're a mess. Why would I want to become a Christian anyways? And why would I ever want to be a member of the Church of Christ? See, that's the portrayal that's set before the heathen when God's people aren't united following Christ. We have been greatly blessed with the East Coast congregation here. We are a united people. And we have great influence in the community because everyone we influence around us sees this love, this unity. We follow the Christ. Practical application. Challenging us to become better and open our minds to things that perhaps we were not thinking of. Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, your own nation and the chief priests, your own political affiliates and powers that have been set forth therein have delivered you to me. So what have you done? Well, Jesus answers him, of course, in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this realm. If my kingdom were a physical, literal kingdom, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. And what took place a few chapters prior, if not just the one prior, where Peter himself takes out a sword, swings to behead one of the opposing oppositions. He swings to cut off the head of the opposition. The opposition swings back and gets his ear chopped off. Peter was, Peter was willing to die for, the, for his friend. Peter was willing to go to war. But you see, Christ had to fulfill the plan of salvation. And it's so fascinating to me. Jesus is speaking to a leader of the Roman power, and he is telling him, my kingdom's not built by brick and mortar. I'm not here to swing a sword. If I was, I'd have an army. And they tried to apprehend the Christ and make him a, a, a leader. They wanted to apprehend him by force and say, you're our king. Let's go slay down the Romans. Jesus Swept away from that. Why? Because the purpose is not an earthly kingdom, though it is seen with our physical eyes. This church is a spiritual house, yet we see each other through our physical vessels. My kingdom is not of this world. It's interesting to me. He's speaking to a man, a heathen, to which his whole worldview is about earthly kingdoms and power and pride and control. And here is this Jewish man. A Nazarene of all things, a carpenter, and the son of a carpenter. I'm amazed that Pilate even gave the, the time for this man. If it wouldn't have been for the Jews, I suppose, bringing them forward. 
And here's this man speaking about, my kingdom's not from this realm. He didn't say, I don't have a kingdom. He has a kingdom. It's just not built by the hands of men. And now that goes back to the prophet saying that the kingdom that will be established cannot be destroyed by the hands of men. You know what can be destroyed? Kingdoms that are built by the hands of men. Where are the Roman powers today? Oh, the spirit of the Roman people is still well and alive in its, in its decadence and depraved uh, abilities. But is the Roman kingdom now the world power? No. Where is the Egyptian power? Where is the American power? Where is the Canadian power? Uh -huh. I wonder if that's the conversation in another, well, I don't know, five years? 50? 100 years? Remember Canada? Yeah, it's somewhere there in the, in the book there. What brought him down? I don't know. Something about diversity. I forget. <laughs> My kingdom is not of this world. Why are we fearing? Those who are created by this world. We shouldn't. That doesn't make us to be fools either. If my kingdom were of this realm and this here physical structure, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. I'd have a physical army with individual soldiers who would be fighting. That's what would be taking place. But as it is, my kingdom is not of, it's not from here not built by the hands and minds of man. It's not of this realm. It's not physical. Therefore, of course, Pilate says to him, so you are a king? Because he didn't say he didn't have a kingdom, you see. He said, my kingdom. He has a kingdom. It's just not of this realm. And so Pilate, of course, his mind is immediate to the kingship. There are to be no other king but myself, of course. So you are a king? And Jesus answers and says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. Interesting, isn't it? It's the purpose for his life. God on earth experiencing humanity. We tend to think that we have no connection with God in any way, shape, or form. He's God. How could he ever know about the things we struggle with? Maybe we have friends who are gossiping about us, who are backstabbing us. How does he know about that? Maybe he don't understand the struggles I have with mom and dad. Maybe he don't understand the struggles us parents have with, with the kids. Or maybe he don't understand what's taking place with financial woes or persecution here or there. Maybe he doesn't understand this. Maybe he doesn't understand that. Maybe we're bored with our faith. Maybe we're just here because we're going through the motions. Mom told me to come. God don't know that sign of stuff. That's why I didn't follow God for a long time, by the way. I hated God. I did. How dare you? Don't tell me what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. I hated God for decades. Couldn't stand Him. I had a misguided hate, of course, towards the wrong power. God had no ill will towards me, and He had answers for all my questions. The issue was, of course, lawlessness and sin. And a rebellious heart. My kingdom is not of this realm, he says. Therefore, Pilate said to him, you are a king. And of course, Christ understands all the facets of human life. He was tempted just as you and I were. He's walked on this earth. 
He's seen all things. That's the beauty and comfort of our Lord and Master. He's God who came down as a man in flesh 2,000 years ago. That is not only recorded by inspired history, but also by secular history. It's a true thing. It's reality. It's sobering. It's self-controlled. And the kingdom he certainly built and has built, and we as legal citizens of that kingdom, when we were immersed into his kingdom, friends, it's a spiritual realm that cannot be defeated by the hands of men. And Pilate just is... <laughs> it would have been the same thing if he would have talked to me about these things, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Oh, the church is a spiritual house. <sighs> Leave me alone. You are correctly, or you say correctly, Jesus replies to Pilate, that I am a king. He is a king. You're going to have to serve someone. Bob Dylan? Do you understand who Bob Dylan is? Huh? You're going to have to serve someone? Now it might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now if Bob Dylan can get that, a heathen among heathens, most prolific poet of the pen to his folk genre. I like Bob Weaver. I like Bob Weaver. But here's the thing. He understood that. It's interesting that some of our own kind are like, eh. No, you're going to have to serve someone. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. It's the purpose. It's the whole fulfillment, the redemptive scheme of mankind going back to Genesis 3.15. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the definite article, truth. It's unique. It's one of a kind, and it sets us free from the bondage of myth, the bondage of sinful practices and false religious worldviews, and it sets us free from the bondage of idleness and apathy and boredom. The boredom that should never be within the realm of Christ. Everyone who hears or who is of the truth, hears my voice. That's how we get to discern the right from the wrong. That's how we get to discern who is a faithful Christian and who isn't. Oh, you might sit here. That don't prove nothing. That don't prove nothing. The devil himself can come in and sit down, put on a smile, put on a suit with a tie, and come behind this pulpit and start reading this book. I assure you the Bible, uh, the devil will buy you a Bible. Mm-hmm. I assure you that the devil, he knows how to preach this book to his agenda. The devil quoted scripture to our Lord and Master. Our Lord and Master is engaging this here moment with Pilate, a heathen. You say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. You guys know what truth is? You know what the truth is? That's a question they ask. The heathen's going to ask that question. What is truth? If you ask the world, they don't know what the truth is. You know why? Because they live in the subjective realm of whatever you want it to be. The isms. Here's a quick excursion for our educational purposes. The isms. Relativism. Pluralism. Emotionalism. I had to learn these things. Fancy little words I had to learn in school. Relativism. No one knows the truth. Pluralism. So therefore, my truth is my truth. Emotionalism. Because I feel it's my truth. So your truth may be different than my truth, and that's okay. We can all just have different truths. Now, if we're talking about pizza, fine. 
You like pepperoni? You like anchovies? You like pineapple? I don't know about pineapples. I don't know about that. There may be an issue of fellowship there. No, but you understand. It, it's a subjective conversation. But when we're talking about life or death, heaven or hell, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, friends, it's not a subjective realm, but that's what's found out there. That's what they first had to infiltrate us with. There is no God, everything's subjective. The truth, here it is. You want to know? Someone asks you, what is the truth? What is the truth? Here's the truth. Reality. It's simple, isn't it? It's simple. Someone asks you, well, what's the truth? It's reality. But what? It's reality. See, you live in a realm of fantasy, of myth and sensationalism, Hollywoodism and charm. And I like Hollywood. They produce some stuff that is entertaining, certainly. Okay, well, the idea is it's a myth. You're watching something on the screen that ain't true. Smurfs aren't real. It's not a real thing. They're not, they're not real. You're not going to see them outside. You'd have to take some pretty powerful drugs to see those little men walk around, but they're not real. Reality is sobering, and it is self-control in the thought, and the mind, and the spirit. And it will jolt you and challenge you into a different way to see things. It sets you free. In my past life, this culture, our people, and if we're all transparent, and we should be, we're a very... Very superstitious people, aren't we? We're superstitious people. Very superstitious. Superstitious is the way of our kind. So we believe in all sorts of things. You know, Ouija boards and black cats and ladders and breaking glasses and this, that, and the others. And what, oh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. The truth, reality sets us free from the bondage of fear we would have had in those things. You don't need to fear those things. They're not real. They're not real. You may be ensnared in false religious worldviews, interpretations, myth, firmly convinced that it's the truth. But the truth, reality, will set you free from that. If Pilate would have given an ear to actually seek to understand the man before him. He would have known the truth. Pilate says to him, what is the truth? Verse 38, boom. What is the truth? Well, do you really want to know? Are we familiar with Matrix? You know, the two pills, the red and the blue. One of them you're going to find out. The other one, you can stay ignorant. Most sadly, remain ignorant. You want to know the truth? Well, I've been in the Church of Christ all my life, and I've heard all about the... Really? Because my parents converted to Christianity, the Lord's Church, in the mid-80s or early 80s, and for the life of me in my youth and rebellion, probably around the age you guys are, youth here, I was like, I'm not having none of this. <laughs> this is garbage. I want to do what the world does. That's fun. The truth, of course, creeps up on you and sets you free. If you pay attention to it, once you're humbled enough. And that's the wrong way to go about life. Don't go the rebellious way, I'm telling you. It's not the way to go. You will not like the result of going the rebellious way. I assure you. Uh, the very small of us who make it out alive has scars all over us and scars up here that wake us up with night terrors and screaming at night. If you don't want to go through the rebellious path in life. You want to follow this book, I assure you.
And if Pilate would have only paid attention, if the Jews would have only paid attention to the man they were... I mean, imagine it. You're walking in a time in our history where God is on earth walking among us and you murder the man. He can raise the dead. He can cast out demons. He can make whole the lame. He can cure the sick. He controls the weather. And he knows the inner mind of a man in a measurement you and I cannot even fathom, but let's murder the man. I want him around all the time. Are you okay? You need something? Hey, here's a seat. Sit down. Want some food? No. Uh, what can I get you? How can I help? I want you to be around with me forever. We can raise the dead. I don't need to worry about mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, cousins, uncles, anyone dying anymore. Thank you. Sit down. <laughs> or hate God because people you love die I tried that one that one don't work because that's not the truth Pilate says to him what is the truth and when he had said this he went out again to the Jews and said to them I find no guilt in the man <laughs> the heathen who is opposed to God, who is in direct hostility, an enemy of the Jewish people, the believers, is saying, I find no guilt in the man. But yet, what did the Jews say in verse 30? Well, we wouldn't bring him here if he wasn't an evildoer, now would we? Verse 39, but you have a custom. Again, don't think Pilate cares here. This is not a moment of, well, oh, I feel bad for the guy. He's not done anything wrong. I mean, we shouldn't hurt him. No. Pilate's a prideful, boastful brute. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? I'll give it to your hands. Imagine that. I'll give it to your authority, who you release. And here in the first recorded vote of believers deceived by policies. So they cried out again saying, Not this man, not Jesus, not the man who's been blessing us. No, not the man who can... Heal us and helping us with everything, giving us food, giving us compassion. No, not the man who represents love on earth. No, not that one. Who? Give us Barabbas. And who was Barabbas? Well, he was a robber. He's a criminal. Give us the criminal. And let's murder the Christ. Who said that? His own people, his own culture. The Jews. Born and raised in the Abrahamic covenant and lineage. See, we tend to think that this book is a book to throw after the heathen. Don't we? Every time something bad is said in this book, every time something's being rebuked, it has to be the pagans. Oh, the pagans already belong to the devil. Who is this book speaking to? The unbeliever? Or you and I sitting here today? Figure it out. This book is written to believers. Now it's governed in a principle that should help the unbeliever become a believer. But this information here, as it is revealed, is the Jews, the people who believed in God and were born in the law, who are bringing forth God to be murdered on a cross. 
is the equivalence of Christ appearing before the, us today and saying the same thing. You're all lost. You need to repent. How dare you say that? I have lineage to Abraham. How dare you say we're lost? Let's murder him. Of course, these pharisaical kinds, they had gained the gatekeeper status, right? They had the mind of the people. They had the mind of the people in fear and intimidation and flattery. They controlled them because they were greedy. And when Jesus came on the scene, he came telling them, you don't need to follow those people. They've been, they're toxic people. They've been controlling you. They've been taking advantage of you. They've been manipulating your mind. You can be set free from them. And the Jewish leadership saw that. We're losing money. We're losing influence. We're losing our prestige, our social status, our phylacteries, our chief seats, to a man who can actually do what we claim we can. Murderer. Murderer. It's those closest to you, man. It's those closest to you. And so that finishes off the section portion of this uh, sermon session and finishes off the chapter. Friends, there's always hope with Christ and there's always hope in His kingdom in simple format for the invitation. Listen, if you believe in Jesus, I put it this way, if you are a repentant believer confessing Christ as your Lord and Master and you've recognized the evidence of logic and the truth within the written text, and you are submissive to repent, to change your heart, you qualify, as John chapter 1 would say, qualify to call on His name and be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried in Christ. Because if you don't go to the tomb where He was found dead, you will not be found raised to newness of life with Him. It's an objective, absolute necessity. And there is love there, and there is peace there, and there is unity. Look at this beautiful growing family. For all who do seek to obey the gospel or know more, of course, that's available to you. All right, my friends, let's move forward with a song. Amen. 29.